Chapter Ten of That Mother-in-Law of Mine by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Ten, My Mother-in-Law Subdued. As I was saying, I made up my mind that our happiness was marred by habitual submission to mother-in-law, and I determined to shake off the nightmare, to assert myself, and to reduce that stately crown of grey puffs to a subordinate place. How was I to do it? There was nothing that I could make the cause of direct complaint, and it was hard to get into a downright conflict which would involve plain speaking. I consulted with Bessie, and she agreed with me, and promised to assume the direction of household affairs. She did not like to hurt her mother's feelings, but she admitted that it was best for her to be the mistress. I could but admire the matronly firmness and tact with which she played her part. She gave her orders and told her mother what she proposed to do, and then proceeded to execute it as if there was no room for question. If opposition was made, she very quietly and firmly insisted. Her mother was astonished, and had some warm words, in which she accused me of trying to set her daughter against her. "'Oh, no,' said Bessie. "'Charles does not wish to set me against you or to have you made unhappy. But he thinks it better that I should be the mistress here.' and I quite agree with him, and propose henceforth to be the mistress. The widow was not offended, but hurt. She had too much good sense not to see the propriety of our decision, and she surrendered and tried not to appear affected. This was the first victory. Another time, at the table, she had exercised her prescriptive right of extinguishing me for some remark of which she did not approve. I fired up and remarked, I have the right to speak my own opinion in my own house, Mrs. Pinkerton. Oh, certainly you have the right to speak your own opinion in your own house, she replied, with the least little sarcastic emphasis on your own house, which cut me to the quick. But you don't seem to think so, I said. You have had a way of snubbing me and putting me down, which I don't propose to tolerate any longer. I am master of my own conduct, and of my own household, and I hope, in future, that my liberty may not be interfered with. The widow's lip quivered, her great eyes moistened, and she left the table, not because she was offended, but to hide her injured feelings. I felt mean and would have apologized, but that I felt that my cause was at stake. There was no after-explanation. My mother-in-law came and went about the house as usual, calm and polite. A silly woman would have refused to speak to me for some weeks, but she was not a silly woman and took pains to speak with me with the most studied politeness, and to avoid offence. Here, too, she had evidently surrendered. This was victory number two. One more, and the battle was won. It was a Sunday in June. I had especially invited Mr. Desmond and his niece to come out to dinner and to spend the afternoon, and had insisted to Fred Marston that he should come with his wife. I wanted to vindicate my right to have what friends I pleased, and then I didn't care overmuch if I never saw him again. Mrs. Pinkerton had gone to church alone as usual. For some weeks Bessie had been unable to accompany her, and I preferred the sanctuary at which this scholarly but heterodox Mr. Freeman preached. When she returned, our guests had arrived. She put on her eyeglasses as she entered the gate, and looked about with evident disapproval as we were scattered over the lawn. She did not believe in Sunday visits, she was even stiff and distant to Mr. Desmond, and refused to see the Marstons at all, though they were directly before her eyes. She walked straight into the house. 
"'By Jove,' said George to me in an undertone, "'that isn't right. I shall speak to mother about cutting your guests in that way.' "'Never mind,' I replied. "'Don't you say a word. I want an opportunity.' He saw it in a minute, and acquiesced with a queer smile. He fully sympathized with me, and had even encouraged me in the work of emancipation. He had the utmost respect and affection for his mother, but he said it was not right for her to make my home unpleasant. That Sunday Mrs. Pinkerton joined us at the dinner-table. I knew she would not be guilty of the incivility of staying away. "'You remember my friends, Mr. and Mrs. Marston,' I said, by way of introduction, as she came in. "'I remember them very well,' was the reply. "'Too well,' the tone implied. I made a special effort to be talkative, and to keep others talking during the dinner. It was very hard work, and I met with indifferent success. It was not a pleasant dinner. Mr. Desmond alone appeared not to mind the restraint, and he alone ventured to address the widow. She was polite, but far from sociable. We contrived to pass the afternoon tolerably, but not at all in the spirit which I wished to have prevail when I had friends to visit me, and all because of that presence. After they were gone, I took occasion to introduce the subject, for I had learned that Mrs. Pinkerton's skill in expressing her disapproval in her manner was so great that she relied on it almost altogether, and rarely resorted to words for the purpose. "'I'm afraid you did not enjoy the company very much today,' I said, as we were sitting in the little parlour, overlooking an exquisite flower-garden. "'No, sir,' she answered, with the old emphasis on the sir. "'I do not approve of company on the Sabbath, and I had hoped you would never again bring those Marstons into my presence at any time.' "'Excuse me, madam, but I propose to be my own judge of whom I shall invite to visit me, and of the time and occasion. I presume you admit my right to do so?' "'Certainly, sir. I never disputed it, and had no intention of saying anything if you had not introduced the subject.' "'I introduced the subject for the very purpose. In fact, I brought out the company for the very purpose of vindicating my right, and it would be very gratifying to me if you would concede it cheerfully.' and not, by your manner and way of treating my friends, interfere with it hereafter. I was almost astonished at my own courage and spirit, and still more so at Mrs. Pinkerton's reply. It was dusky, and I could not see her face, but her voice trembled and choked as she answered. God knows I do not wish to interfere with your happiness. Bessie's happiness has been my one thought for years, and now it is bound up with yours. I have my own notions, which I cannot easily discard, but I would not do or say anything that would mar your enjoyment for the world. I have long felt that I did do so, and have made up my mind to make any sacrifice of pride and inclination to avoid it. Here she actually broke down and sobbed, and I was very near joining her. Never mind, I said at length, quite softened. I guess we shall get along pleasantly together in the future, now that we have an understanding. I hope so, she said, recovering her serenity and we relapsed into a painful silence. This was the third and final victory, but I felt no elevation over it. My mother-in-law receded somewhat into the background, but it was so much in sorrow, rather than anger, that I felt her new mood almost as depressing as the old. I didn't want her to feel injured or subdued, but evidently she couldn't help it, and the mother-in-law, though conquered, was herself still, and that congeniality that would make our life together wholly pleasant was impossible. Her existence was still a shadow, less chilling and more pensive, but a shadow in our home, 
and it seemed destined to stay there. End of chapter 10